0: This is Rider Jump, the show where we can and will talk about anything and everything tangentially related to Kamen Rider and Tokusatsu in general. Um, And uh, we're going to be doing that actually in two interesting ways today because um, that's just how we roll. We're that damn good. Uh, We do not have Sona with us today, um, but I will be talking about Star Wars, and then there will be a Concrete Revolution conversation, and that will be happening with my guests here.
1: Uh, I'm Aleph. Ah, who am I? (laughs) Oh, oh, right, yeah. Uh, I'm Cannibal Saracenian. That's right.
0: That's right. (laughs) Good to know. Speaking, Speaking of who am I, is that a great Jackie Chan movie or not?
1: I, I don't know. Share. I don't know anything if it's not common rider. Actually I know <laughs> things if it's not if it's not common writer. But still I, I need to play my bit because I don't know.
0: Well, you're the cannibal Sarasanians. We can't yes. expect much else. So it's understandable. Hey, come on
1: now. Cannibal Saracenian, that monster kicked ass. Uh
0: yes, yes it did. But we're gonna talk about Force Awakens right now. Um we are obviously not a Star Wars podcast. I would love to be a Star Wars podcast, but there are like 80 of them, and uh, we didn't start Only soon enough. Only 80 so. of them? Wow. Okay, there's probably like 120. Um, well, there's
1: 120? A Even that's like a...
0: <laughs> hmm.
1: I wonder how well, many of them are titled
2: Handshot First.
0: Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, anyway... I have a
2: fair, I like, I get. I get grumbled about the... the discourse in Star Wars sometimes.
1: Yeah. Honestly, the better question is how many of them would probably begin with that uh, you know, that Cantina music thing.
0: Uh, yeah, that's that's replete throughout a lot of them. And, uh, good. Anyway, um, and, enough about criticizing other Star Wars yeah, I'm in. It, oh, I'm do I'm in. We're going to talk about The Force Awakens a little bit, if I can stop being distracted by Sarasenian's hilarious antics over there. Um, hilarious. Huh. Well,
3: <laughs>
0: I find them funny at least. Uh, okay. I don't know why I'm being catty. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm channeling my favorite princess right now. Uh, so, man, by the way, I, I don't know why. Uh, I have gained an affection for Leia that I never had before. And by gaining an affection for Leia, I don't mean I want to ban young Carrie Fisher. Um... Because listening to I... anything
2: old, Carrie Fisher has to say now has been a
1: freaking revelation. <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> nice that Carrie Fisher has uh, has come back to the public eye and receives more uh, more popularity now.
0: Yeah, she was she's great. She's great. Um, she was in The Women a few years ago with Meg Ryan and Jada Pinkett and other women I don't oh, remember the names of that. right now. I've never um. Heard of it's a movie with all women in it, and there are absolutely no men on screen ever, or any men heard in it. Um, nice. I believe the most of the, well, I believe the top of the production team was all women too, but uh, it's actually a remake of an old black and white movie. Um, anyway, you should check it out. If uh, if you don't hate women, you should check out the movie, The Women, starring sure. Meg Ryan. Um, anyway, back to The Force Awakens. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, it was a pretty good movie, it's obviously broken a bunch of records, and we're just going to talk about some of the things we liked and didn't like about it so much, um, because the three of us come from very, three very different perspectives when it comes to Star Wars, it seems. Um, that's what I've gleaned from my conversations with you two fellows, uh, in the past.
1: I think that's a fair
3: characterization.
0: Yeah, so, uh... Have I uh, talked
1: about Star Wars a lot in this uh, place? Not a lot,
0: it's been a tiny bit. Why don't we go in order, um, let's go Aayla first, then me, then Sarasenian, just to see, like... A real quick, like, one to two minutes, what's your background with Star Wars? How did you feel about the prequels? What's your favorite of the original trilogy, and what do you think of Force Awakens in that short amount of time?
2: Okay. Um, I was born in 1981, so basically VHS copies of Star Wars were ever-present because my father... Uh, I am a nerd, like my father before me. Um, <laughs> big fan, you know, as I've grown up, big fan of Empire. I know that's easy answer to give, but Empire is also really good. Um, prequels, I don't hate them. I, I, see a lot of good ideas in there that I wish would have been realized differently. Um, but that's just me and George Lucas having very different storytelling aesthetics, which has been a recurring theme. Um, especially since I really enjoyed, uh, Force Awakens for the, uh, sort of greatest hits album with some great new content mixed in that it was, uh, Kind of wish they would have focused more on the the new stuff, but
1: Elif, you can just admit that you are you are glad that uh, George Lucas isn't around anymore.
2: Well, it's you know it's it's a thing where he sold it off. I'm I he's perfectly he is well within his rights to have problems with what happened, but it's sort of the thing like you sold it off, bro. You you don't get to sell it and then still have it. I know it's your baby. If if you didn't want someone else to make the movie you shouldn't have sold it
3: mm.
2: but you know that's you know uh, he made it he made it it was a beautiful thing but it, you know the original like if you go back and watch a new hope it's it's actually kind of clunkily like the dialogue is very clunky he's a very he's a chess master sort of of plotter i'm much more a character sort of guy And I really think that when Lawrence Kasdan came in for Empire and Jedi, he he really brought out some of the best stuff of of this great idea, because it's one of those things where I don't... George Lucas made it, but it only happened, it only became Star Wars The Thing, because he he had a great bunch of actors and designers and set people, because he's a brilliant guy in a lot of ways. But he, he just, to me, has never seemed good at recognizing his limitations and, and started to believe his own hype much in the same way that uh, Joss Whedon would later do and, and a lot of other people.
1: Gene Roddenberry, with, uh, Gene Roddenberry initially with Star Trek uh, the, next the Next Generation. Generation.
0: Mm. That's what I've heard. He went a little nutty because people praised him for how good he was. Um, okay, so I'll go next. Uh Since this is all off the cuff, I don't actually remember the exact order of how we were supposed to do this, so I'll just do it. Um, My history with Star Wars is that I had a glancing uh, familiarity with it as a child. Um, I was about 10 years old when I saw, uh, I believe, all three of the re-releases, the special editions in 97. Um, So that was pretty exciting uh, for me at the time, and uh, just to see it on the big screen after I'd seen it on... On the small screen, you know, as the commercial for it talked about, if you've only seen it like this, you haven't really seen it. Um, and, sorry, uh, like, it really gripped me thematically. Uh, I may have um, identified with Luke because I thought I had an evil father uh, or something like that at some point. Um, and uh, the redemption part of it really hooked me, which is part of the reason Return of the Jedi is my absolute favorite Star Wars movie. Um I love the prequels. Uh, They got me really excited. I came out of Phantom Menace at however old I was, would have been 11 or 12. Um, Really excited by the dynamism and action and, like, how crazy it was to see all these Jedi when there had only been a few before. And um, I enjoy the awkward love story in Attack of the Clones and uh, the cool, like, retro-style mystery going on with... um, Django that Obi-Wan is tracking down in Attack of the Clones, and I love the tragedy in Revenge of the Sith. I wish it had been done a little differently, honestly, in Revenge of the Sith, but other than that, um, I pretty much love the prequels. Uh, Clone Wars is amazing. Rebels is great. And I had a lot of excitement for The Force Awakens, but was ultimately a little bit disappointed, although I'm really itching to go see it again. Um, and I'd like to see it one or two more times for sure, before I feel like I can really let go, or integrate it into who I am as a Star Wars fan, because I have uh, funny feelings about it, but that's where I... I liked it overall, though. Ray is awesome. All the new characters are awesome, and yeah, there should have been less of them, or more of them, and less of the older characters if they just figured out a better way to do it, which I don't think they did a excellent job of in this movie.
1: No, it, it was good, but... Mm, uh, I, I just... I'm just thankful. Uh-oh. Crying out in anger and coming for you with all those, all the fanboys, all that rage, want to consume you. Okay, no, not really, but still, not, still, it's, it's still interesting, interesting to hear. That's not really a uh, thought, that's not really something I hear very often, or anyone actually. <laughs> well,
0: that's okay. I'm unique, I'm a snowflake man.
1: <laughs> not to like uh you know, don't take this the wrong way, I'm not meaning to insult you in any way, I just you know you know
0: Oh no, that's fine. If you can't see the phantom menace for the beautiful jewel it is, then I don't know what's wrong with <laughs> I, I I say that unironically, it is such a good story about how a bad guy sets up to bring down an entire civilization. It's amazing.
2: See, okay, I'm gonna go back and rewatch it now with that in mind.
0: Oh, I'm, okay, I'm, good.
2: I'm, I'm a, look, I'm willing to give it a shot because I, I find a lot of the ways to learn to like a movie that you hate is to hear why someone else likes it, and if you can get into that point of view, like, like it's it's when I went through and rewatched, and and in my head replaced all of all of Jar Jar's dialogue with the same words being said without the the aggressively silly voice.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And it's like, oh, oh, he's he's the everyman. He's the Han Solo. That's what he's supposed to be. You guys.
1: Oh, dear. Know oh, dear. Oh, no. They're going to come for you, too. No. They are. And,
2: and look, I will welcome it. But it's it's just the thing where I, you know, once I got rid of the, the visceral reaction and sort of the, the the fanboy osmosis, it's like, all right, well, he's annoying but I see where they were going. I don't think they got there, but I see where they were going. And seeing where they, was, you know, trying to, if you can figure out what you think someone was trying to do, it, it gives you a different affection for what they actually did. So, uh, yeah. But yeah, go on, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm cutting into your Oh mind. yeah,
1: my, uh, yeah, my opinion on Star Wars, you might have a, You might have a noticed, all you listeners out there, that I've been, uh, pretty quiet this whole time. Uh, well, almost quiet, but anyway, so my thing with Star Wars, uh, okay, so, I was a kid, born around the time when the prequels were a thing. They came out in like, what, 1990s, was it the one, or, when did Phantom Menace come out? I don't remember. I want to say like 99. Oh, yeah, yeah, I came around right when it was, you know, when it first came out, and, uh, but here's the thing, I have in my hands, I know this is a podcast and I'm trying to do a visual thing here, but anyway, just imagine that in my hands is our VCDs, if you remember that format, <laughs> <way>, <laughs> nice, VCDs of the original Star Wars trilogy, Unaltered, because that this was before those were, those alteration things were even a thing, I'm jealous. And this is actually, these three were actually the first, I think these were the first Star Wars movies that I actually watched because I haven't seen The Phantom Menace until later on. And so technically the so, so technically the original trilogy is what I grew up on. And,
0: well, it, you, mm, you were like a virgins in the force. Go ahead.
1: Well, so, and of course, uh, so I watched the prequels. And because I... And I like them. As a kid, I quite enjoyed them because I, you know, as a kid, you kinda, you're kind of you kind of predisposed to like anything pretty much as long as it has pretty colors and isn't totally boring. You know, boring in the... I don't know what sense, but still. Well, it nice. has, it so has lights... It has lightsabers and laser fights. Woo, yay! So, you know, that sort of reaction. Yeah, so... But... Looking at it now, I think even as a kid, like by the point, the Revenge of the Sith came out. I think even then, I was starting to kind of notice that it, there was something odd about it. I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it, or I didn't even think it was bad back then. I just thought that you know there was kind of this sort of like clear, there was kind of this sort of a uh, clear contrast between. Whenever some, whenever there is action, and whenever there is no action, you know when there was fighting and no fighting. So whenever there's fighting, there's all these like oh lightsabers, cool people jumping around, doing cool flips and all that sort of stuff. But when people are talking, it couldn't be any less interesting. Where they were just like walking in the walking in weird gray hallways, talking about things and that was probably important to the plot but i guess i didn't really care i just wanted to see the laser fights and stuff <laughs> like that and uh, yeah and then later on i know and then later on i was i finally learned that oh wait there was something there really was some problems with the prequels a lot of them actually but heck, but the thing is i i haven't watched the prequels at least in the in their entirety in a long long time, and I honestly... I, I really i don't and the thing is, I don't actually hate them, I don't like hate them like you know you know, I know it's not really in between not uh, between us three it's not really a unique opinion, but I definitely am kind of more leaning towards being more negative about it than probably. Yeah, then probably Amit or even Aleph are in the sense that there is really something that I think just like in terms of like just how the Star Wars universe is made, made out of, like just how the Star Wars universe is. It's just that I, I feel like it's really by the pre, by the time the prequel city was like, this is such a like nonsense. This universe is so nonsense because like it is so absolutely bonkers isn't it like think about it like we got like this like we got like this sort of weird thing where it's kind of meant to have like this asian philosophy about like the about the tao and the qi and the stuff but then it, at the same time it still has this sort of weird like i almost say christian sort of black and white morality to it well not christian but still there is like
2: well, it, it does have that, that very strong dualistic idea of, of there is light and there is dark and there's nothing in the middle. Steve Ditko would be proud.
1: Yeah, And it's like... that, And then there's like all the sort of really... All the other stuff, just the world building of it, it's absolutely like, oh my god, don't... It is... Some of the most... Some of the most, like... Some of the most punchable world building I have ever seen in for... Almost anything, really, and it's just weird. It, it, the whole thing is just weird. Like I, liked, I, the mo- the, I liked, like, I still like the the I still like, like I still like the original trilogy as movies. But oh man, I cannot get into that universe anymore because oh dear lord, what is going on there? And the prequels to and the prequels. Too, and the prequels uh, one thing I want to also point out about the prequels too is that it's. Have you two seen the movie THX One One Thirty Eight? I have
2: not. I've always meant to, but I've never been able to get my hands on it.
0: I own it, but I've never watched it yet.
1: It, that's it's a great movie. It's one of uh, I think George Lucas's earlier, mo- earlier. Er- I think it's the f- earliest theatrical yeah, thing he's ever
0: done. He made a student film, and I can't remember if if the version if he went back and finished the student film or. Or something like that, but yeah, it, it was definitely a student project at UCLA, wherever he was. Oh, 138.
1: Oh, but there is kind of this weird thing where I see that this the certain style that that movie has shows up in the prequels in a way that doesn't work, you know? Because like THX One Hundred Thirty Eight was all about this sort of. Like this sort of Orwellian nightmare world where like emotions are just emotions and genuine humanity and passion are stifled with, you know, all these all these sort of drugs and, you know, these sort of merchandised religions and, you know, and white war and absolutely, you know, just this oppressive nothingness. This everything is gray and boring and stale, and there is not no color, nothing unique to it, nothing unique, and it just feels like this sort of uncomfortable alienness to everything, which which worked there, but there is something, something like some of that feeling kind of shows up. I feel like kind of shows up in the prequels, and it's such a weird thing to like think about for to me, because it's like I don't know, it's odd.
0: If I may, Mm. I don't know how much of that is unintentional because I'm pretty sure Lucas wanted to show uh, that the Jedi of the late Republic right before it fell were extremely flawed and they had a lot of problems. And I think that had they not gotten off track and turned themselves into this monastic order where they were uh, into the suppression of feelings and emotion – um, that things w- wouldn't have turned out the way they did. Like, I, and again, you're, you're. I think you're pulling stylistic and directorial choices, and I'm not sure he injected those or infused those into the prequels or not. But I think definitely the idea of emotions being something that are to be suppressed and um, repressed, basically, uh, w- which is how it comes across in the um, in the prequels. Uh, I, I think is an important. Uh, component to setting up how off-base the Jedi were, and, like, I'm really hoping Luke, to to bring it forward to The Force Awakens, I'm hoping uh, Lucasfilm decides to make Luke this grey Jedi who is in between and who sees the balance, the actual balance of, you know, being able to feel the full range of human emotions but still choose to do the right thing when Ah, you're in a situation. And, like, Ryan Johnson. I don't know anything about him. Heard he's a really good director, really good writer. Um,
1: he, he made Looper,
0: I, which I still haven't seen, um, huh. unfortunately. But yeah, I, I mean, I've heard that's great too. Um, I hope he can bring that level of humanity um, that I don't think was purposely, or that that I think was like purposely missing in the Jedi, uh, except for like Qui Gon um, and Obi Wan a, li- a little bit. Uh, so like, yeah, I'm hoping. I I think a lot of it was purposeful, um, except for if you're talking about stuff not attached to the Jedi specifically. Um, But we could go on and on and on about that. But uh, should we move to uh, just some, uh, I guess, highlights and and lowlights, if possible, about Force Awakens?
1: I like the movie. It definitely felt felt like I was like, oh my god, this is... this is the logical next step from the, from the original trilogy. It was nice.
2: I think, I think the thing that, that really hit me the most and that has, has stuck with me, uh, for, for my own part, if, if I may, is, the, uh, is that now we have the stormtroopers, and they are all at once more human and more loathsome. Because we, we opened the film with Finn. You know, he, he's the first stormtrooper who makes a moral stance. And. Really
1: good visual storytelling too. Yeah, it that. was
2: really good. I mean, with the blood on the face, it was, oh, it was great. And, and of course, the, the hovering laser blast, that was, that was sick, dude. I, I was losing my sugar oh, every yes, time. Yes, I made.
1: was. I, you know, the, th- that's another thing I want to kind of mention before we get more oh, yeah, into go, Force go, Awakens. Go which is also goes back to my problem with the Star Wars universe. The Force is such a lame thing. As a as like a superpower, it is the lamest thing ever. Because the thing is, with the Force, you can only do about maybe four things at most. And, you know, what are they? Like probable telepathy and then the mind control thing. And then like, telekinesis and what the, and then the force lightning that's it and never i've not still yet to see any in any media where the jedi actually use any of these powers in any sort of creative way that isn't just like force push and then we just rest of the time we just use lightsabers because it's like it's like there is like this sort of like well, like, oh, no, on. but you're, you're not wrong.
2: Th- I mean, that, that's that been one of my my sort of complaints with a lot of the ancillary media, which is that, you know, Yoda spends all this time in the original trilogy talking about how, look, size matters not. Like, moving, moving the X-Wing is no different than moving that rock. It's the same thing because none of it's real because luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. But... In you know, in the prequels and and in in a lot of again the ancillary media, it's it's the same like four or five things done the same four or five ways, in
1: the same and it's basically just situations. and it's basically rest of the time I mean, it's just lightsabers because it's like but the th- worst. Well, it's well,
2: it's the thing where if if they expand on the the power set and, and and the originals too far, if they just take this idea of total magic power to its logical extent, they're going to, you know, then they get the fanboy thing of, well, why didn't Darth Vader do that? Like, that's he could just make the thing happen. Why didn't he do that? And that's the, those people are the most frustrating. Yeah.
1: And that's the, also the problem that I was getting to, which was that the Force is basically simultaneously, it is this vague, like infinite miracle machine, like how the original trilogy kind of described it as, but then in practice, in the French, in the overall rest of the franchise, it's basically just a, uh, spell loadout out of, like, five tricks, which they never do, interestingly. And that's the thing, too, because, like, telekinesis alone, you can do, like, a billion things with that. Like, you can do it, like, I, I still don't... Like, I... Like, can you imagine what you can do with just, like, the idea of moving things with your mind? Like, that's, like, solves... Like, you don't even need to do lightsaber battles at that point anymore, because... You can just throw rocks because you can basically like, you know, you can lift rocks. You can honestly, you can just pop. You know, you can pop people's arm sockets out if you want to. It's like there's many ways you can do this one power, and it's like they never do it because for some reason it has to always be the goddamn lightsabers. I think
2: it's I think it's the same thing as as why do they keep having all the swords in *Kamen Rider*? Because you can't sell a punch. You can't sell telekinesis. Hard to market telekinesis.
1: Yeah, except here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, though. Because Star Wars is kind of also based on, like, uh, like many of the Chinese martial arts fiction, the wuxia fiction. Hmm. There they don't technically use telekinesis, but it basically is. Yeah, basically, they are so good with qi that they can basically do some minor, ter- minor telekinesis. And they still do like a billion things with that. Because, well, this, because they've got some amazing fight choreographers. Exactly.
0: Yeah, uh, you I, I, don't, I don't make this work. I don't want to slam uh, Nick Gillard, who was the sword master for uh, the prequels. and Oh, man. Who was the guy who did Vader's fighting in the original? He just died last year. Oh, that's a shame. I uh, can't remember his name. Uh,
2: the pop culture is just...
0: So many. we really bad about that now. Anyway, like I, you know, okay, Ryan versus Dorkman two uh, is the kind of uh, like choreography we need in Star Wars. I agree. the 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 choreography has its downfalls, and I would love to see more Jedi powers expanded upon. But for whatever reason, maybe because Lucas wanted to keep it uh, grounded in. Uh, the you know kurosawa that he saw and he really was enchanted with um, you know the swordsmanship he wanted to keep that as a vital aspect of it as, as well to maybe fall in line more with the serials that he kind of based off the flashbacks well, I, I think that's that. it right there cuz um, like otherwise it turns a different different it's a different genre I think it's, I, right. think it's
1: like did, I think it's just like they I think it's just like didn't really bother to think about this sort of thing but okay well
2: I think that's Probably a lot of it too. I, I, I think. I think it's one of those things where the rule of cool takes over.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I guess.
2: Well, look, it would be way cooler if they got some proper, some proper, like uh, some Jackie Chan mess going on in there, or,
1: or some Wuxia. Have you seen uh, the? Have you seen the? Uh, who was the art? Who was the director of it? The the two D animated Clone Wars cartoons.
0: Yeah, Gendy Tarkovsky. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: Have you seen the episode? Have you seen the one episode that had Mace Windu fighting yes. the droids? Yes, that's so
0: fighting awesome. The giant
2: piston.
1: weapon. <laughs> but here's yeah. the thing, though. Mace Windu in that. Okay, if you, listeners, if you don't haven't, if you don't, if you haven't seen it, go watch it because it's a way more interesting like fight than almost any like. Uh, any slight, any like ninety percent of the lightsaber duels in the prequel no, trilogy.
0: It, it's um, it's out of print, but you can easily find it on. What is it? Uye uh, anyway. ubte. Yeah. Anyway,
2: <laughs> <laughs> there are ways to
1: acquire it.
0: Yeah, in the streaming capacity, very easily. It's fantastic.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing because. He because in that fight they only he only really uses the force even if it's just like punch making your punches faster that's still something that's still yeah, like a is. that still uses like the, the whole telekinesis thing and that's still more and that's still quite interesting to watch and you know and there's a lot of cool stuff going on there that just never really shows up anywhere else and it's just kind of like. Well, what's just so special about the force then? Because it's like if you can't really do anything special with it, then what's like? Uh, it's I don't want to talk about this thing anymore. <laughs> I've talked about this before, and it's like it's, it's it's like why do they even bother? Why why do they even? Nah, uh, no, I, uh,
0: I don't know. All, I can do it. Have... Sorry, but, go ahead.
2: But to to just kind of go back to. Looping back to the point I was, I was at. I think uh, again, the the big thing for me, you know, the stormtroopers, the the laser catch. I, again, I really love that. But the thing I really liked about that is that not only does it it really give us a good idea of who Finn is and what Finn's about, and you know what's what defines him. What defines him is he won't kill for these people. He's this thing they're doing is wrong. He makes a moral decision. He becomes a common rider. You know, he is an exemplar of the system. He rebels against.
1: The oh, system. is this? Oh, is this where the tendentially related to common rider all things double in things? That was
2: that was my big reach.
1: But, oh, you know,
2: unlike most common riders, he also is like, that's a really big system full of people with guns. I'm out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna run away. <laughs> yeah, which look, look.
2: That's the, sm- uh, that's a smart thing to do. And it makes, you know, when he turns around and says, well, no, but my friend is in danger, I, I'll fight. Like that's, that makes it beautiful. See,
0: but <sighs>
2: but the, the thing I really like is that not only do we have this great character who's got this really neat hook, but it also gives the stormtroopers something because if they remain loyal to, to the, the Ursats empire, now they have character traits. They they hate this guy not because oh he's an invader from the from the rebellion. Mar, oh, we better kill him. It's no, this guy betrayed everything we ever worked for and sold us out. And now they have something they want. They have character. They have drive. They have motivations. And most of all, you feel a lot more comfortable not liking them because they're not a bunch of stupid people. Not even stupid. Just a bunch of people who signed up for the military because that's a valid career path in the new. Imperium, right? There are a bunch of people who've been brainwashed and who stay with their brainwashing. Yeah, that's... they could choose not to do it, but they don't. And and that it doesn't make them necessarily more loathsome, but it gives them a character. It means they've all necessarily, in the light of Finn's actions, made a choice and it makes them more real. It makes them more than clones or generic bodies. To, to oppose our heroes, it makes them characters. I mean, having the one guy with the electro baton, mm. he you know, why? What's his deal? I don't I don't know his name, but I know he hates our. He, I know he hates Finn.
1: The thing with the, I think that's the that's the thing with the Force Awakens. That's the, which is one of its bigger strengths is that it manages to establish characters and the world in a much better capacity than the pre than. I'm sad to say then the say but I don't want to dwell on that anymore. But the thing, because it's like, you understand, because it really doesn't, like, explain, the movie doesn't explain anything explicitly, like, it doesn't, like, it doesn't explain exactly, like, how the, like, just what these, uh, what these stormtroopers you know, what they where they're from, or you know what they, they can do, what they can do, or what they're capable of. But you know, it's just from like, but you can bait but you can you know guess, Fine. you can just guess really well. Like I'm, I'm mixing my words here, sorry.
0: But, I, your your point got across. It, yeah, yeah. it you can read their uh, who they are without having to hear it. Which was, out. You know,
1: and was not just one of the, the great strengths of episode four too. And not just uh and not just with the Stormtroopers, but with uh, a lot of the characters actually. Like uh Ray. Ray like the whole scene with her just like living in that desert planet was like in like I don't know, like five minutes, they pretty much established like the whole any everything you need to know about this character you know almost without almost without any dialogue and yeah. it is re- and you know and it keeps going on throughout the movie and it's one of its biggest str- and it is one of its biggest strengths like i said
0: yeah it definitely is i, I i'm going to have to get going so i'm going to say a couple things um i really hated a lot of the new alien designs i thought they were terrible um they didn't oh, yeah, look star-warsy yeah. to me Sorry, I could see
2: didn't. that. I, I could see where you're coming from there.
0: I like, think that's a fair cop. Especially like Uncar Plutt, who was the guy who uh, was the ration portioner. Yeah. Um, dude did not feel like Star Wars. Um,
1: I don't so, know what even def- I don't know what even defines a Star Wars alien. So I'm just like nodding along with everything that goes on on screen. Like yeah, yeah, that's a that's a thing.
0: It just doesn't feel like what's, what we've seen, uh, like the current precedent for Star Wars aliens. So it's like, I, I don't, it seems way too human. Oh, let's give like a, a really bloated, grossy, flesh-colored guy. And that's an alien. It's just like, I, it didn't connect with me. Um, a lot of the other ones were okay, but he was really nasty. Um, I felt like the, uh, the Rathtars or whatever. Like the movie was perfect up until they got taken in by uh, Hans Freider, um, in my opinion. Um, some of the oh, stuff yeah. in there was ridiculous, and I didn't like.
1: Rad- yeah, that was kind of a weird scene, wasn't it? It was kind of like out of nowhere, and just like a silly sort of adventure romp in the middle yeah. of this everything else.
0: <laughs> and it didn't please me. And then the last thing, and I'll say this, and then I'll just I'll, I'll walk away, and you guys can like be stunned. Um, I don't know what Kylo Ren's motivation is, what his actual motivation is, and it really weakens him for me as a character because he. Comes off as just like being bad for the sake of being bad.
2: See, I actually thought that was his motivation. Like, I, I, I understand what you. I think I understand what you mean because we don't know why he has this thing where it's like, yes, I must go to the dark side. I must. I'm
1: terrible but, at it, but
2: I must.
1: <laughs> and here's the thing, too. I also noticed. Have I think it also has to do with because they did. They never. They only said it once, but I think it's something to consider, which is that when. The scene where uh, where Kylo Ren was uh, trying to interrogate Rey, right. and he pointed out and he pointed out how much Rey like appreciated Han Solo and saw him as like a father figure she never really had, but right. he just and he responded with how uh, you know how he disappoint oh, you. Yeah. Yes, yes, and I think that's a pretty sort of interesting thing that you know. Leads that opens up a lot of questions in, I think, in a good way, and really kind of like hints at a character and a backstory that we want to see more, essentially.
2: I, I yeah, I, I I do agree on that front because you guys don't even know how much like I love a redemption arc. <laughs> I also love the inverse because if you can sell like a good person trying to be bad, and and like. Okay, well, now you must do a, a really terrible, evil thing to cement it. To cement your evilness, you have to make an active choice to be evil. I, You know, if you can sell me on that. And they, like, I bought it. I bought it.
0: Just. <laughs> uh, we'll have to discuss that more later. But uh, I got to bow out for now, guys. It was fun right. chatting with you. Likewise. And I wish I had more time because now I really think we should have a Star Wars podcast because this be- <laughs> This seems like it could be hours and hours of endless fun.
2: We, we will we will have to to do a a, ro- a roving series of
1: rider jumps just about Star
2: Wars.
0: Oh, sounds fantastic. I think um, I'll just take the
1: whole podcast to come the complain about the complain about the world building in Knights of the Old Republic <laughs> games because the Sith well, Temple is such it's so stupid. Well, it's,
0: you, you can't blame that on Lucas. All right, and with that, I can't blame uh, last, that on
1: Lucas, but I can blame it on the, you know, the, 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 that, the sort of nerd culture <laughs> and their whole thing with Star Wars and canon and all that sort yeah, of thing.
0: you know, I have a big problem with the Star Wars nerd culture too. So again, we'll discuss that more later. I'm gonna stop my recording, and uh, I can't wait to hear what the what you guys talk about the rest of the time. So, see you later. Later. Later.
1: Now, wouldn't it be really disappointing if right now we switched our uh, our discussion topics straight Whoa. into Concrete Revolution?
2: Well, as I understand it, that was actually kind of the plan.
1: Yeah, but like Amit um, said, like, oh, I I can't wait to hear more of your uh, Force Awakens <laughs> opinions. All right. All right. Yeah. Good. All right. Yeah. Goodbye, dude. All right. Now, no, let's quit this nerd shit and talk about like real stories. Well, OK, that's. That actually sounded even nerdier now that I called an anime like uh, whatever. You can't win in this sort of scenario, really. No,
2: you really can't. Like it's it's the problem of being a nerd talking crap about other nerds. Like because <laughs> at the end I, of the day, it's just nerds just throwing mud.
1: No, I no, I I'll still uh, I'll still throw mud at the anime nerds like the mainstream <laughs> anime nerds. They're, they're so weird.
2: Well, I think I think actually, I mean that is a good segue from from Star Wars into it because, like, I think you and me have, have kind of put down some of our our bigger thoughts with with the caveat that look, we both have a lot more we could say about Star Wars. I like the
1: scene where Rey, I like the scene where uh, where Ray, you know, in this in that snow, in that you know whatever planet was you know Star Killer base, you know, the lightsaber was like. You know, using the force and take the lightsaber, and then the you know the force theme starts ru- starts ringing like do 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 and then and then he she activates the lightsaber and and then whoa! I can't believe this is happening. It's so cool. Yay! Yeah. No, they they
2: sold that thing.
1: Yeah, like, I, I think- was so. I was actually kind of surprised that Ray was like the main character of the movie because I actually initially I haven't like paid any attention to like anything else other than like the first uh, first two or three trailers so I was kind of expecting that Ray to be kind of the secondary character mm. but you know, but then I, as I watched the movie and more and more I realized oh no oh oh Oh, she's the main character. All right, okay. And I was like, and then I was like, hundred uh, percent for this movie. It was really nice.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, she's like, she is a really, she's a really great character. I really like. I, I always go for. I always feel bad because it's like my first thing is to go and talk about how great Finn is because Finn is great gonna, too. Yeah, he is. He is. You know, he's he's got the arc that that hits me a lot harder because. Better or worse, like I love Ray, I love her arc. It's it's kind of very much the the hero's journey, and that's great. Mm-hmm. But Finn's Finn is the guy who gets to say, you know what, this is crazy. Fighting these guys is stupid. Let's get let's just let's leave.
1: Yeah, Finn has like the Finn has like this sort of more different style of story that the Star Wars has had up to now.
2: Yeah, and. Like, and I'm not saying better or worse, I'm just saying, like, I don't have as much to say about Rey, because, like, what do you say about Rey? Well, she's cool. She's yeah. she's a great and Jedi it, yeah. character.
1: And, uh, yeah, and, you know, that whole scene where she was, you know, when we see, where we established her character on the planet, yeah. on the <sighs> desert planet, Jakku, yeah, that I'm, was it. N- I'm it's, not going
2: to lie, dude, like, I could have watched another, like, just half hour of just her picking through the Star Destroyer. I it's thought such,
1: that was really cool. Yeah. That scene too, it just communicate like, it manages to, like, communicate the vast scope of the, the vast, yeah. it manages to, like, describe the scope of the universe, but also how kind of, like, the sort of obsolescence and, like, how time, and the passage of time, it yeah. communicates so many things just with that one scene, it's yeah. kind of, it's it's kind of similar to one of my it's kind of similar to this one scene that i really like in empire strikes back it's one of my favorite scenes out of the star wars uh sort of as a whole it's the scene where darth vader was talking to i don't know was it like a was it like a captain on the star destroyer mm. you know where he, and you know would have been a really no. Would have been a really ordinary scene. But then they made. But instead, they made this sort of elaborate set with like Darth Vader in this sort of like giant black domed throne. Yeah. Like, you know, that you know just like opens up and reveal and reveals him in this sort of weird ch- mechanical chamber. And the ca- And the, while the while we're talking with the captain, this while talking with the captain and reporting the goings on on their invasion on Hoth. And then after that, after that exchange, Darth Vader then turns around and then you know looks at the monitor and there's the admiral and he ch- force chokes him to death for failing for failing him for the last time and all that sort of good stuff. Like it's such a great scene because like it in so, it in like I don't know was it like it tells five you minutes or something? Yeah. To
2: know. Like who is Darth Vader? He's that guy.
1: Yeah, and it does it establishes like the menace the pure menace and the intimidate and the and the authority that Darth Vader possesses. But it also kind of communicates how, how sort of alien and isolated he else, he is from like the rest of the empire from the rest of the military personnel that he is this sort of he's this big deal that is also completely like not part of not really part of the Sort of status quo, but he is kind of this sort of weird, like a, like he's this weird space wizard, yeah, among base among a starship full of Nazis. Yep. that's
2: that's pretty much it. Yeah, which I mean,
1: and it also kind of and it also establishes how powerful the force can be and that sort of stuff. It's it's such a great scene and and you know that then. This movie, this movie, which was which was also written by Lawrence Castan yep. had, had a lot of that happening throughout.
2: Really, yeah. I mean, it's
1: even just like even just like the appearance of like Luke Skywalker at the end. Yeah, you know, they
2: did the smart thing where they just they had a it's like no one says anything.
1: I was so I was so glad. Yeah, I thought they were gonna. I was so glad that they kept, they had like Luke Skywalker at the end, and you know because I was kind of like, oh man, I would under, I would completely understand that if this movie ended like right there where like Ray was taking off from the Millennium Falcon mm. and gonna find Luke, but I was so glad that at the end we still saw Luke Skywalker in the robes and old and looking like he hasn't slept in like five years, yeah. which is great because yeah. he because. Mm. After all the things that have gone down in his in the past, he should kind of look like he hasn't slept in five years. I
2: really like. I mean, you know, you talk. You know, we're talking about the, the the way they do the script, and and I really like how many how much they establish with little lines that get to have weight and then actually matter later on. Like, okay, well, why did he leave? Oh, cause Kylo Ren happened. Mm. and and you know we get out there and you just see his face and he, like you say it looks like he hasn't slept in a year he looks haggard he looks unhappy mm. and it's like well yeah his like spoiler because we've already spoiled everything else his nephew I, I
1: i expect that the people who listen to this podcast yeah. have seen the movie because yeah. otherwise it's well, well i guess it's we a can silly thing p- to listen to yeah. and then again i think people then again, maybe this is going to be listened to all the people who are like, "Oh my, Concrete Revolution podcast. I haven't seen Star Wars, but I sure do like Concrete Revolution." And then we just spoiled the shit out of Star well, we're Wars. going to be
2: spoiling the crap out of Concrete Revolution too. So, it's, it's but, all good. But, yeah, that's true. Well, look, again, I'm I'm going to talk about those those last couple seconds.
1: Honestly, we are honestly but, this uh we're not go- honestly we are probably not going to not gonna appeal to anyone with this podcast now that we have all our, Ray. Uh, yeah, with the whole this stuff about the prequels and the Star Wars and my stuff about the Star Wars universe and now spoiling all of Concrete Revolution to the people who haven't seen Concrete Revolution who still for some reason listen to this podcast about Concrete Revolution and it's it, 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 let's just put a spoiler warning or something. Yeah, I, I think
2: I think we'll I'll make a note to to.
3: Yeah. Anyways, so
2: the the like the thing I do like about uh, Luke Luke's appearance is just that like he tried to train his nephew to be a Jedi. He failed spectacularly, Mm. (laughs) and I'm just like, you know what? If you're that worried, like I I, I see a lot of people online, you know, because I I make a lot of mistakes and apparently I like to hurt myself who are just like, well, he should have gone back to fight the guy. And I'm like, that's your that's your nephew, dude. Your nephew turns into a Nazi
1: because of you. Like, this ain't like the prequels where you can just like, Anakin, I have the higher ground. I'm gonna slice every limb of every single limb of you, yours. And okay, that's kind of cold. Obi Wan can but okay, if that's for the greater good.
2: Yeah, but I mean, because yeah, he he doesn't want to do that. Luke's a, Luke's not a guy who's trained to cut off his emotions or his ability to love his nephew. He just he failed bad, and he just wants out. He just like he just wants out, just done with this whole thing. And then you know, Ar- Ray shows up and it's just like, no, you don't get to leave. Like that's beautiful, and I love mm-hmm. that the the film has this. Like, yes, there's the giant battle that makes the planet explode, whatever. But at its core... It's,
1: That's one, 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 one kind of a nerdy nitpick I do have, which does have, which is kind of hypocritical for me to say now that I have made my all my rants about the Star Wars universe. Why weren't there any Y-Wings?
2: Because <laughs> those aren't the coolest ones.
1: No, it why weren't they Y-Wings? Weren't they supposed to be like the bomb the bombers, you know? I have no idea. Like the ones with the heavy alt- artillery that I think that's what they were doing. Like no. they, yeah, that that's this yeah, they're fighter bombers. I just oh, googled okay. like Y-wing. Yeah, I know. But still it's like okay. So this whole operation we are meant to like destroy this giant military base
2: that is It is a bombing like, run.
1: Yeah. Where are the Y-wings? <laughs> like you would think that having the thing, the the spaceship, the starships whose whole thing is to be fighter-bombers, would be pretty good to have in a bombing run. You know? Instead, they just got, like, just they just got the X-Wings, and then subsequently got all the X, almost half the squad destroyed. And it's like, this wouldn't have happened if you had the Y-Wings, you know? You could have, like, you know, you could have, like, uh, Optimize. Prioritize. You can have, like, X-Wing do their thing while the Y-Wings, you know, destro- get the get all the whatever oscillators destroyed. And then we'll have probably have this th- whole thing done in, you know, in about an hour or something. Or whatever time it lasted in that whole scene. I don't know. It's it's such a weird thing to do.
2: Oh, I can, I can see that. I... It- didn't hit me that way, but I, I totally understand where you're coming from there. But but I, what I was what I was saying is that you know that bit aside, because I kind of feel this like was that's such
1: a, really this tacked is, on. Yeah, this is a uh, this is the most nitpicky I will probably get about this sort of subject. Look, I, I forgive you. It's I good. only do this because I, I only do this because I think I th- because I know that the whivings are kind of like so- seen as kind of scuffed at by the. By the Star Wars fandom in general, and I'm just like, no, no, they they, 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 no, My Wings were cool. They had their use.
2: I, I can dig that, but I, I, so, so what I'm getting at in my roundabout way was that I just like that the core thing of the movie in a really roundabout way is helping a sister find her long lost brother. Like, mm. everything in the movie just builds around that, and I think that's just really nice. Hmm. Yeah, that and of course the the symbol you know the the really blatant symbolism at the end where the new robot helps you know adds its piece to the larger universe that is held within the older robot and I'm like that's that's subtle sort of like when they had Ray you know again it's it's a great visual thing it's a great passage of time thing it's a great explain the universe thing it's also a great meta level because when she's going in and picking out at the the remnants of, of the Star Destroyer. It's like, ah yes, the, the new characters who are raiding the old world for for meaning. I was like, that's that's clever. Mm-hmm. Just just yeah. like Kylo Ren is a great meta joke, because everyone's like, no matter what happened, everyone was going to say Kylo Ren is stupid and lame and he's not as cool as Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. So they just yeah. said, okay, well we'll make that his character. Mm-hmm. That's his that's his deal. <laughs> he's yeah. he's he is Stupid and lame, and not as cool as Darth Vader. That's his thing. He I still knows kind of, he's not as cool as Darth Vader. He wants to be as cool as Darth Vader. He's not.
1: Yeah, I still kind of find it funny how, I, like, on the Twitter, I was like hearing about, oh man, wouldn't it be so hilarious if if Kylo Ren was like a Darth Vader fanboy or something. And I'm like, oh okay, that's an interesting thought. And then I watched the movie, and I was like, oh wow, that is what they are doing. Oh, yeah. huh.
2: they just ran with it. It's beautiful. Hmm. But i just i really like that they made like legacy and multi generational things just kind of a, a core thing in the movie yeah. because, like look, you can't get away with it mm. away from it rather why not why not embrace it
1: mm. also uh, I do hope that the whole i do hope that the uh i uh what I was gonna say, I don't know, but i do hope i do also hope that in the next movie. It's gonna be better than this. it's gonna be even better now that we got uh, like a even more interesting director and writer for it, and yeah, I, I also know, hope like that, that I also hope that they don't do the obvious thing with Ray and it's like oh Ray you are someone in, someone from the original trilogy's daughter nephew <sighs> yeah. thing and that was like no just she can just be her own thing yeah Come on. wouldn't
2: that- there's there's more than one group of people who's important in the universe. Like yeah, there's uh, like I've I've seen people be like ah oh, it's really gross to ship Kylo Ren and Rey because they might be related. And I'm like well, every, like here's the thing, everyone in the everyone in the freaking series is related. How about that? Just they're all all of them, all of them, they're all cousins at least all of them.
1: Just every all of them. It's not even honestly that interesting of a ship. Uh, no,
2: it's not. It's not.
1: I'm but, sorry. Oh man, now we drove away with all the Kylo Rey uh, shippers too. I, just, I don't get it,
2: but <laughs> yeah, of course, like I don't, I don't get like 98 percent of ships. So I, I'm, I don't know if I'm broken that way or if I just don't engage with things that way. I don't know. I, you know, it, unless you're talking about like Ichijo and Godai and Kuga, I, I got nothing. But.
1: Hmm. Oh and uh, also another of mine also uh, also one thing I've kind of found uh, kind of funny that now that came to my mind uh I ca- I found like when the star base star killer base appeared I was just like oh my god I cannot believe this even if they explunged all of the all of the expanded universe stuff for uh you know and I still can't believe they still kept the whole fetid, fetish for super weapons that it had.
2: Well, I think like, I, I, have n- I really know next to nothing about the Expanded Universe. I, I've never cared for most of oh, It
1: had like, okay, here's the thing about the Expanded Universe. Like, like, basically the one set after the original trilogy, they were, there was, I think this one specific writer, or maybe a f- couple more, that was like, really re- that was like, I want to make the Death Star, but Betterer. And then it's like uh, this Death Star. This is like the Death Star, but it can destroy like entire solar systems. And but this is the Death Star that is also a weapons factory that destroys planets. And it's like, it's like, oh my, oh my god, this is so lame. It's well, all like, I can think
2: is like, look, you're,
1: you're it's the whole Sun Crusher thing. You're doing
2: novels. Novels Start, are not a visual medium. Those sorts of things are very difficult to pull off in a non-visual medium,
1: and even the and also even the Knights of the Old Republic that game even that one had like a super weapon. There's some. It's like it's like well, I, there's I, there's I, no other way to make things more like urgent than having another Death Star. Apparently,
2: well, I th- like at least in in the movies I can forgive it a little more because after Episode Four. You know the the first Star Wars film. Uh, you know they do the Death Star run, and that's you know that's cool. And then in Episode One they do the the run on the robot satellite space station thingy. Mm. And, well. and so by that logic, if if you take Episode One as the start, you op- you know you open or rather right, you end the first chapter with uh, a space fight, mm. then. When the next generation starts, they open theirs with a space fight. And then, so they just extrapolated further, right, well, we need, we go from a space station with robots on it to a Death Star, we need to go to Super Death Star. And I'm like, because I think they just couldn't think of a, you know, we have to have the space fight.
3: it
2: It doesn't fit the story. Yes, but we need to have the space fight. It's Star Wars.
1: Yeah, but you know, Revenge Yay. of the Revenge of the Sith. Even that, it had a space flight and that didn't have any like super weapons. Yeah, mm-hmm. but that was
2: that was part three. That's not the opener of the of the new generation.
1: I suppose. Like hmm.
2: that's that's the only thing I could think of because otherwise. I also
1: like, hope there isn't like space orcs, the Yu Jan Wong thing. You know the Yu Jan Wong thing? I, uh, you probably I do you don't know. Okay, so basically in Star Wars, you okay? I don't want to talk too much about the. EU thing now, but there was basically space orcs, and they are, like, also made with the same mentality of they are gonna be the ultimate bad guys. They don't... They are immune to the Force, somehow. That, that That's a thing in the Star Wars Expanded Universe. Somehow they're... It's like that, when they
2: had the, the people who, like, on a species-wide level, are immune to the mind trick, because on a species-wide level, they're all strong-willed. I'm like... That's that's not how willpower. Works.
1: That's Star Wars universe. It's it's like that's one of the other problems of the Star Wars universe. But if we talk about that, we'll, well just
2: at that point we will have to talk about like the just egregious racism that pops up sometimes. And...
1: Oh, well, there's there's so many problems with the whole thing. But yeah, yeah, I mean
2: we, we're, we're gonna skip. We we're, we're acknowledged it there. Move on. <laughs>
1: So, uh, so what are we, what were we gonna talk about? Oh, yeah, so Concrete Revolution. That's the thing uh,
2: everyone should be watching or should have watched because it's on break and it starts again in April. And I am counting the freaking days, man. You do Mm. not even know.
1: Yeah, Concrete Revolution. It's a pretty interesting show. So, uh, so, okay, so I was originally gonna, I was gonna do this thing that, uh, so I read up some of the criticisms that this show has received.
3: Oh, oh! And I, I hadn't even cared to. Thank you.
1: And I haven't read them all because there's like a billion anime wait, blogs, and I cannot be asked to to check all of them. Oh, wait, but
2: wait, 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 wait! These are these are blogs from just anime fans. I white- I've
1: I've just looked through like uh, all the different different various sources on you know all the problems and. You know that concrete revolution might had, and okay. you know, and some of it is sort of like the general things that people have with show I writing, which is in you know, which is you know something I cannot really comment on because I've only watched this and *Common Rider Blade* and like *Full me- and some parts of *Full Metal Alchemist*, the first anime. So it's like I have no real reference to talk about this. But anyway, so I so my I was originally gonna do this thing where I was gonna. I, I assumed, like, I thought, like, uh, Sono was going to be here so we can have, like, some sort of cool three-way talks about this uh, mm. thing, whether, you know, about the merits of some of the show and, like, uh, whether or not the criticisms is true, whether we agree with the criticism or not, but...
2: Well, look, say, we can do that two-way because, yeah, like, I, I want to hear them.
1: Yeah, yeah, so, uh, you yeah, know, I can. So... Okay, so the obvious problem, for, so the one problem that I find interesting that people say about Concrete Revolutio is the idea that, I've, I don't remember where I got this, but there is this critique that basically characters talk at each other rather than to each other, and I don't know, how do you uh, feel about that?
2: I, I mean, I guess I can kind of see it sort of a little, but you know, that's one of those things where a lot of it's going to be about how you take it. Like, I always took a lot of it as that's the nature of a lot of their relationships. Like, there's a lot of, like, hierarchy stuff, a lot of, you know, people issuing orders, a lot of people saying, no, you can't do this. Yes, I'm going to. No, you you freaking aren't. Like, I, I guess I can sort of, if I stop and think about it, see the criticism, but it doesn't I don't agree with it, but you know that it's uh, for me. That's an aesthetic thing.
1: Hmm. I suppose I, I can see. understand it. Although I think that it is kind of a it's kind of a thing. I think that actually is kind of prevalent in uh, in a lot of the, in a lot of stories, in a lot of writing. Like uh, Christopher Nolan is pretty. No, I think it's pretty a lot of his, like, stuff, a lot of his movies uh, basically revolve around characters basically talking all these different, uh, different ideas, throwing out all these different ideas, talking about all these different, th- talking about ev- all these themes and analysis at each other, and there isn't so much, you know, character interaction so much as, like, the, uh, the sort of exploration of ideas, and uh,
2: Which, you know, i it's kind it's, of what I was there for so and it's
1: kind of depends on how you like i think it's kind of depends on how you like it and i can definitely see why people might have a problem with it yeah. especially considering now that christopher nolan i think is nowadays kind of more on the kind of kind of more on yeah i don't know i wouldn't say on the ro- i wouldn't say unpopular but well, it's, it's have one been- of those
2: things his tricks have kind of become old hat now
1: like and every
2: everyone has sort of taken those things and extrapolated them out. Like there, yeah. there was okay. there was Dark Knight, and then there was uh, what was the Man of Steel.
1: Yeah, I think that is a pro- and I think that is also a thing that a lot of anime also has a problem with. In oh, yeah. if you know, because there's some because there is actually in a lot of these sort of things, there is a lot of expository dialogue and a lot of, like, people basically just doing exposition and a lot of that throughout episodes. That's very true. And I guess it kind of depends on one's tolerance on these sort of things. I can definitely see the problem and because, for one thing, I honestly don't remember any of, like, the personalities or, like, the, even the names of any of these characters outside of, like, Jiro and Rainbow Mask. So it's, like, it's a thing where, I like I get... It's a thing where I I don't hate it, but I can completely understand where they're coming from. And I, I kind of do agree with it. And it definitely is something I can say is a flaw with the show. So, yeah, so... So I wouldn't say the style itself is so much as a problem. So much as how you use it, really. Like, uh, like one, like one of the, my favorite ways of how it, how that sort of style of characters, like just basically like reciting thematics was El Topo. The first half of El Topo, but El Topo was this sort of like this sort of bizarre, m- uh, this sort of mystical like explorations of all these different ideas and motifs habit going on, but. After, But then what the movie does is that by the second half, it kind of recontextualize all that sort of all the going on of the previous first half into this character and then see how this character who has like gone through all of this now has to like survive in basically what more resembles our uh, more resembles the real world. Well, real world in, you know. No, quote unquote yeah. real world. More of the yeah, it's more of this sort of a. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of, and that's also the second half is also where a lot of it a lot of it has more like a less dot less like expository dialogue and more this sort of character interactions. It's just really not and it's just it's very well done and I think and it is and it is definitely a movie that's worth watching. I think it's one of. Alejandro oh, Yudrovsky's and I really like it.
2: Well, and and I mean, you you bring up the 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 thing where the first half is basically exposition, and the second half is is when it all pays off. And I sort of feel like that's kind of what Concrete revolution is working towards itself.
1: I hope mm, there. I can see that the second I mean, half. You
2: know, the 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 trick, the thing that that makes me angry in in the sense of. I recognize that this thing is so well done that I feel personally slighted because I would not think to do it that way. Which, you know, that's a thing you can... uh, Anyway. Um, But the the thing is, the trick with the first season, the first half of it, is that it, it really is nothing but exposition. Like, it is pure exposition. Bottom top, it is 13 episodes explaining the conflict that is going to happen After episode 12 or 13, I forget which, how many there were, but everything, everything after the, the revelation of, you know, baby Jiro Mm. is, you know, everything before that is pure exposition. Everything after that reveal is the next half of the show.
1: Hmm.
2: At least that's, that's what it's seeming like to me.
1: I can see that. And for what it's worth, I can also kind of say that uh, I do kind of like like the characters that they, I think were that they were trying to attempt in Concrete Revolution than much of any other anime that do the kind of same thing and uh-huh. don't really succeed all that well, by which I mean, I, you know... The you know, like uh, psychopaths and Gaim. Well, Gaim wasn't an anime, but you know, it that didn't work. It didn't work out. Guy yeah, of course, even here we have to do a knock on Gaim. You know, and
2: look, and it's as I understand it, if we're if we're known for anything, it's that. <laughs> just, we, of course, like here's the thing.
1: Like in retrospect,
2: I, you know, there's actually a lot of things I like about Gaim. It's just that I hate the way they were put together.
1: I'm not even sure what I liked about Guym anymore, but okay.
2: That's 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 legit though, because like I, I, you know, it's it's been my my ongoing discussion with myself about like, okay, Gaiman Drive, two just two years, a bad road for for Ryder. Hmm. Which is worse, the one that was kind of trying to do something, but the thing it was doing was crap, and it was not done well. Or the thing that wasn't really trying to do anything at all. Hmm. Which which one is worse? And it's just like, well, they're both bad.
1: There's definitely more. There's definitely more to fault at something that has no ambition behind it than something yeah. that at least has some sort of idea.
2: Yeah, and that's sort of where I'm at because, like, at least Gaim was trying for something. It failed. It crashed and burned miserably, but it was trying, and I guess that's something. I, that's something nice I can say about it. They tried.
1: That is something interesting too about Gaim because Gaim essentially ended. I almost say in a similar way that, and this is where going to come back. This is where we come back to Concrete Revolution again because Gaim's, and you know. And also Common Rider, because Common Rider kind of does, a lot of common, at least the sort of comics, like the Asian ones especially, kinda of do. And <clears throat> in the same way that uh, that Gaim does. You know, the difference is that the one depicts it as the sort of vi- some kind of like victory, while the comics kinda of see it as like the sort of tragedy that it is. And and so I kinda of think Kind of thought because in concrete revolution, essentially, uh, while they d- they uh, they how should yeah uh, wait hold on I had something I uh, I forgot mm-hmm. yeah yeah in concrete revolution they they did end in a much more positive note so I wonder what they're gonna do for the second half of it yeah because. And yeah. because uh, because the thing is because because at least if because since with this show with Concrete Evolution a lot of it does place more emphasis on essentially the thematics that the original *Kamen Rider* had back in the Ishinomori era. Yeah, and, absolutely. Which is something quite which is something also quite interesting to think about since. In in a sense that that common writer kinda isn't as like uh, kinda isn't as discussed or analyzed to that quite to that extent and it's most noticeable it's actually most noticeable when Ultraman this show uh, this Concrete Revolution's rendition of Ultraman shows up and was barely was basically just a footnote in the entire show what. Which normally is not a. Normally doesn't really happen, I think, in this sort of media because Ultraman, and even today, is still kind of seen. Ultraman? I mean, he's. he's,
2: It'd be like having a super. It'd be like having Superman in your story and just having him be over there somewhere.
1: Yeah, and it's kind of interesting. Yeah, and. Don't do that. Yeah, because even. And comparatively, Common Rider today hasn't. Really been, tr- I feel like hasn't really been treated as kind of the same kind of cultural phenomenon that no. Ultraman is, or at least sold in the same way. Like, like you ain't gonna see. Like, I think I said this in the previous podcast somewhere. You ain't gonna see. Uh, you ain't gonna see. Common Rider hosting Hugo Awards like Ultraman did. Wow. Yeah, it's a, it's pretty unfortunate. It was a pretty. It was pretty cool though. The, well, sure. Yeah. The po- had, People, listeners, if you haven't uh, Google the, uh, I think was the 2007, 2007 Hugo Awards, which was hosted in Japan, which it was still kind of amazing to think that the in the prestigious sci-fi fantasy award, sci-fi fantasy awards of the Western world, we now have actual Ultraman standing next to them, and while while
2: 'Cause the on the, the Hugh Awards website they have a picture of the trophy and it's got the rocket ship and there's Ultraman just right yeah. on it.
1: Yeah, it still kind of amazes me that oh my god i I would never think I would see the day when any Doctor Who rider would stand next to Common Rider receiving the <laughs> next stand next to Ultraman receiving an award that has Ultraman in it on it. Yeah. That's that's pretty amazing actually. Yeah. It is. It is quite interesting. But yeah, so about Concrete Revolution, its yeah, yeah. emphasis on common rider, I think it's pretty interesting and pretty appropriate since common rider, there probably is a lot more like a pop cultural things in the seventies and late sixties that dealt that similarly dealt with the, uh, with the sort of uh, political climate of the times while delivering uh, this sort of fun pulpy action adventure, but. You know, I'm so I'm glad that Common Rider was the one they chose because that's the one I like.
2: Well, yeah, and it's it's I think it's also because especially near the end of the of this first half slash first season, we we've you know come to an explicit discussion of the fact that many of the the uh, things that the various Common Riders and various Tokusatsu heroes generally have fought for are kind of fundamentally incompatible if you stop and think about it I mean mm. I, you know if if Common Rider is the fighter for freedom that's great but freedom tends to also mean freedom from justice and then if he is the guy who fights for justice well there is no peace when you seek justice because mm. and I, I really like that you know they take this explicit thing and they just they just say no this is what we are about and I, I it it makes me very excited to to watch the next part.
1: It's also a pretty interesting take on the essentially kind of, kind of uh, this Sisyphean uh, conflict that Kamen Rider has because the whole idea, because in the, in the sort of Ishinomori sort of pathos of Kamen Rider, it, and really just all of his superheroes in general is the sort of, is mostly centered around the tragedy that these superheroes even need to exist mm-hmm. in any way, like you know, Cyborg Zero Zero Nine, like this, like basically the idea that these superheroes exist says more says more about the problems of the world than more than anything else. Yeah. It is something I always found kind of interesting about uh, these sort of Japanese superheroes overall, hmm. because so because it's because you know. They were doing this sort of, and they were doing this sort of self introspection and analysis, like about what two decades or something, you know, before Western superheroes even attempted the same.
2: Yeah, and then when the Western superheroes started attempting it, they just sort of went like, okay, well, we'll put a whole bunch of sex and violence in it, and that—that's the same as introspection, right? Yeah, yeah, it's totally the same. Uh, well, because after yeah. Watchmen happened, everyone just said, "Right, so violence—really ugly violence—that's what we'll do." Great. Mm. Instead of like, oh well, let's let's use the superhero to say something about the human condition and the arrogance inherent in thinking you can save the world.
1: It's definitely no, uh, not even like Devil Man or some or Kuga in terms of like how they handle violence. Yeah, no. Although Devil Man kinda is theaters a line between, you know between kinda this sort of uh this sort of visceral enjoyment of violence while also kind of seeing it as a horrible, horrible thing.
2: But I think that's that's kind of one of Devil Man's strengths. I mean, it's it is the thing where yeah, we revel in violence. You should appreciate how
1: messed up this is. mm It is Devil Man's a very interesting I wonder if Devil Man I never actually thought like thinking concrete revolution through devil man. That's kind of interesting. Because Devil Man is a is also in its own right a very revolutionary and you know yeah, revolutionary comic that, you know, we can still see its effects today just as much as Common Rider has mm. basically influenced it well, ton of other, tons of other things.
2: Oh absolutely.
1: Which includes Devilman itself, actually. Oh. But We're yeah, at... and... Oh, go cool. on. It also... But yeah, what I was going to say about uh, back to Common Rider, it's also kind of fun, I think, in a way that how in this Concrete evolution show, they essentially did uh, split Common Rider into like these three characters that also kind of represent diff- three different aspects. Well, two different aspects, because the third one is kind of following the footsteps of the uh, one the other one yeah. by the end but still so basically we have like rainbow mask and uh, the uh, what was the other guy called again uh rainbow
2: rainbow mask claude and jiro
1: yeah jiro i remember uh, it was some sort thing sword, sword saint claude yes that guy the guy with the skull mask that's yeah. it uh, But anyway, so it's kind of interesting because Rainbow Mask is kind of more this sort of idea... Rainbow Mask is more the idealized superhero that Kamen Rider is, you know, this sort of cool guy with body armor and mask and motorcycles and fights against, like, fights against international conspiracy rings and all that. But... And also with some... Uh, with some underpinnings of moonlight masks to it, but mostly in terms of like the visual uh yeah. sort of aesthetics of it yeah
2: but he still you know he still fights monsters with his motorcycle,
1: yeah yeah, what yeah, but also in the same in a way, but also. But then you also have Claude, who was explicitly, I think, inspired by Rainbow Max's actions, hmm. and he kind of repre- he kind of has writers more dis- political underpinnings that Ryder the writer comic eventually had by the end of it, and he had he has more of that sort of mo- more of that he has the backstory of the. Whole being the monstrous cyborg created by a uh, malevolent organizations with ties to the government, and kind of does represent kind of more of this sort of a uh, more this sort of violent and sort of unpleasant side of *Kamen Rider* that can have. Which, well, not unpleasant, but sort of like. Well, kind of unpleasant. I mean, yeah.
2: it does seem to you know he does seem to hearken back a lot more explicitly to uh, *Skullman* in that yeah, respect. Yeah, because, you know, he, he does all the extra violence, he's involved with all the horror, and Skullman was kind of Ishinomori saying, like, yeah, I think I think the kids should have the thing with some horror elements in it.
1: And yeah, to, like, yeah.
2: Back it up, Ishinomori.
1: Even, he even looks like Skullman, yeah. really.
2: It's just, you know, he's he's got a couple more, uh, he's got a couple extra scary demon bits in him, and I just... Yeah. Yeah. Love the design.
1: Yeah. And then you have, of course, Jiro, who eventually follows Cloud's footsteps. And, you know, he is also not quite human with cybernetic warts and even has a red scarf. But the thing with all the previous, like, Rainbow Mass and Cloud is that, like, dis- like despite them being, like, only represent representing a certain aspect of Common Rider, their fates still kind of uh, end up in the same way that Common Rider did, in which, you know, they essentially fight Till the end, where you know they kind of die horribly. Essentially, well, not even or if not dying horribly, end up in a pretty damn permit, pretty like pretty horrible in this state where where there is just no return or or no victories and and no victories. Yep. And and it's pretty cool. It kind of should. It. It's kind. Of, it's pretty cool to uh, to watch as a common rider fan. Oh yeah, I mean
2: it's like like I know. I, I think that the thing that sucks most about the show the, the the thing that I will admit like as as an avowed Concrete Revolution show as they say. Mm. At least, I think the kids still say that. I, I'm too old to know, but like the the thing that sucks about the show is that I know that there are a lot of. There's probably a lot of deep cut cultural references that I'm just not getting. Like, I know three quarters of, of the side cast are all references to things that I don't even know. Like, uh, Ami, I know she's, you know, she's, she's yokai. I, I know that. I know a magical, mm. uh, you know, uh, Kiko, I know a magical girl when I see one. <laughs> uh, but some of the other guys is just like, well, I have no idea what's going on here, but you've explained it well enough. So, uh, so it's, it's just the thing where being being a Western fan is very much like, there's a lot of levels here that I'm not getting, but there is some sick commentary going on here. I can tell that much.
1: Well, that's also the thing that I uh, I do want to kind of I do also here, which is the whole idea, which is uh, the show does kind of, and to my limited knowledge, on the show, era does do a pretty interesting job on like interpreting that uh, that could, the complications and the uh, sort of political bullshit of the time, and how many sides all driving to their varying goals. But it does kind of, but it does it is such a vast topic that is also kind of sort of thing that is very difficult to do in just like what well, how many episodes were there like uh At 12 or 13 in this first,
2: in the first half yeah
1: yeah it's something that would be a would be an uphill struggle to do in 12 to 13 episodes so i do one so there is definitely a precedence on pe- on You know, people being confused by everything that's going on because they are not as, you know, connected with the, with this, you know, this particular time era of Japanese history. And I do wonder about how much, how much people's uh, opinions might change if they do understand it. Would they see this as? all that great of an execution of that sort of thing like is i guess this as good as it can get all or? i know
2: is that with with my limited like exceedingly limited understanding and the context the show gives me like at the very least i'm able by the end of by the end of this first season to be like okay so this really is a cultural history of the showa era as told through the the lens of the popular culture of the day. So, like, that's kind of, it's, it's an interesting bit of, it reads to me like an interesting bit of social criticism because, you know, we're, we're focusing so much on these student protests and the youth activist movements and the ways that power conspires to work against them and to work against the, the noble intentions of anyone who falls under its sway, which I mean, look, that's kind of a lot of what Common Rider, at least, you know, from from where I'm sitting, was also trying to touch on. I mean, it's it's as you you've pointed out yourself, like a lot of the, the government, the states run stuff running in the background in Common Rider is just taken straight from political speeches of the day. Mm. <laughs> and, and, you know, then there's then there's there's Hongo just going like, yeah, how can you think this? This is evil. This is terrible. This isn't what people are for. Mm. And yes. you know, I, I take just that much knowledge, and then you you go back and look at Concrete Revolution, and it's like, okay, well, we're we're definitely talking about the pop culture, especially once they started bringing in the the rock band people, which I you know I admit is, as an American, like when you know it, it reads like the Beatles happening.
1: The music scene is probably the uh, the the most under the most uh, coherent part to a Westerner, to an yeah. average Westerner of this show. I think, yeah.
2: So and it's I and, but yeah, it just really comes down to like I feel like they've made their case pretty explicable. Although the... I don't know. Hmm. I mean, mostly I just like that that the whole show is just kind of based around the idea that oh yeah, the Americans have Superman. Superman's jerk, hmm. and I, he he, and then all of this experimentation happens because people are awful to anyone they can get a chance to be awful to. Once you, once you quite, create a system,
1: I do quite like the Earth Chan episode.
2: Yes, you do because it's great,
1: <laughs> and I do like the Earth Chan episode because it's also because it it's a very it's actually a pretty simple story of. Essentially introducing the sort of value of obfuscation elu- of of obfuscation and moral ambiguity to mm. essentially a very extreme for uh, very like uh, extremely real like logic like the logical endpoint of what Superman is,
3: mm.
1: while also is while at the same time is also Astro Boy. So I'm not entirely familiar with Astro Boy, but you know, I'm. But it definitely, but it's kind of the thing where you you,
2: you absorb a lot of what Astro Boy is about through uh, through just cultural osmosis. And mm. like, I don't know if you ever read Pluto.
1: I've actually read Pluto. It's a really good comic.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's freaking amazing. And Earth Chan really resonates with that particular version of of
1: of Adam. Oh yeah, it does. It does very much. The whole, uh, the it, the Pluto and its whole uh, critique on uh, the sort of post 9/11 ter- you know, war on terror stuff. Yeah, and it,
2: man, and of course that's that's also a thing that uh, that uh, Aikawa has, has previously had a lot of commentary on. Uh, if you ever see UnGo.
1: I have Which, heard um, of yes. content
2: advisory for people there's there's some messed up stuff between episode three and five just heads up like it's mad creepy
1: mm. so but it's really good, mm, really good so the problem with so
2: go on yeah sorry
1: I feel like there is one problem with this that with this that despite the show having a lot of these these ideas and a lot of this ambition behind it there is it does still kind of elude in terms of what its ultimate i don't know end goal is and what i guess i should say which i suppose is kind of which which i suppose is kind of to be expected since the second half of the show hasn't come out yet Mm. but there does seem to be a lot of these ha- things going on, which it it definitely feels more like an it definitely is more of this sort of episodic show where it just kind of comments on various of million things, kinda all united under this one common thread, whatever that whatever that may be.
2: Although I I think part of the one of the things that that's got me so like oh this is so good that.
1: So my problem, I guess my question kind of is, okay. what do you think that uh, common thread is at okay. the end of it?
2: Okay, well, I th- I think a lot of it is is just trying to build towards the idea that that. You have to be critical, I mean, and of course, this could be projecting. I'm probably projecting, but no, no, no. It's... Every, everything you read, you know, when you read a thing, it's always coming to you through the lens of your own mind. So mm. keep that in mind. But uh, for me, it reads like you know, you have to be critical of. It's the common writer thing. You have to be critical of the people who tell you what to do and mm. tell you how to live. And tell you what right is, what wrong is, what culture is. I mean, I, I feel like that's one of the reasons they brought in Earth Chan, and oh, yes. brought her in the way they did because she is portrayed in, in the show as kind of the arbiter of good and evil because she's the one who, who can read your heart and tell, and she knows how desperate you are and what you need and she will just do that thing. Like, the little kid who just needs to breathe. He just needs to live somewhere that's not polluted. So she just stops the pollution. She just... Command decision. Bah, 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 bah. We're done. Okay, mm. but we're just going to turn the factories back on. Yeah, but today he can breathe. And then and she's... She she doesn't even do that. She's already moved on by then because she's Earth-chan and she's amazing.
1: Mm, this uh, this sort of... This super hybrid of Superman and Boy. Well, I guess... I guess there. I guess people do say often that uh, Astro Boy kind of is the Japanese answer to Superman. So you know.
2: Yeah, I mean, well, it's it's both of them are are kind of these god figures or, or, you know, sort of demigodly figures with with incredible physical power, who are both very concerned about understanding and expressing the moral values of the society in which they live. I mean, that's. Mm. I, I think that's very fair to compare the two.
1: Mm, I suppose.
2: I mean, you know, again, this is yeah. so this is coming off like I, I like Superman. I like Superman quite a bit.
1: I like uh, Superman too.
2: And I and like in theory, I like a lot of a lot of uh, Astro Boy. But for the longest time, I couldn't get into Tezuka's style. You know that that just speaks to me having bad taste for a very long mm, time. So, but I haven't. So I've never really absorbed. Astro Boy in the same way.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I look. Uh, well, I like that. Uh, I like Osamu Tezuka style. So I probably
2: I've, I've come to, but I just didn't for the longest time because I was wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think that's the thing with this. Sh- the thing. This show. This, this show definitely is. And I think that's something that people don't really talk mention is that it is ultimately pretty episodic in its execution, kind of, I guess, kind of sort of to emulate the sort of style that many of the Showa era like, pop-cultural shows just overall had.
2: I think that's part of it, and I think also one of the, the things it does, though, with that episodic structure is that the order in which they put the episodes, because, I mean, the the timeline is bananas. Like, we've been keeping track of it here. It jumps all over the place.
1: Mm, yes.
2: But what they do is is... When you when you watch them in in marathon, because yes, we've marathoned them, because we're really Mm -hmm. big fans in this household, Um, the way that they put the episodes, everything starts to comment on the previous episode and the next one, so that it it's all episodic, but it all builds Mm -hmm. an understanding of the way this world is and what's coming.
1: Do elaborate on that.
2: Well, it's it's okay, it's. It's, it's basically the the larger textual version of okay you ever get into bad arguments on the internet right I'm sure you've been in oh one yes two, oh and yes and they'll say something and they'll, they'll have these two assertions which which are not necessarily linked but when you see them together you get the impression of what they mean um, it's it I, I can only go the the ones that come to mind for me are like the most egregious internet debates and so i, I apologize if it sounds like i'm making light of a serious issue uh, please believe me I, I understand the gravity of of where i'm going but it's it, it's like you know when they say uh, cops have to defend themselves and then they say have you seen the amount of black on black crime in response to a discussion of police violence against black people in america so they say those two things, and isolated, those two things are, are just sort of ideas, mm-hmm. but when you put two ideas together, you have expressed something, you've expressed that you think they are related, you've, you've basically said these two, these two ideas are linked, and you, you imply your thesis, which is, uh, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you would Trying to say when you put those things together, mm. which in 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 this terrible example, I'm really sorry because it's the only one I could think of. It's it's rather late and it's it's just the most extreme example.
1: No, no worries. We've yeah. already gone to the whole uh, this whole. Yeah, topic. I'm
2: just. It's it's the thing where where I don't want to sound like I'm making light of it or, or not respecting it because I, I really I can't anyway. Um, mm. but you know, in this instance, the thesis is. I think it's okay for cops to just shoot black people in the street. Like that's that guy's thesis. He will never say that thesis because first he is a coward, and two he might not even be aware of it. But when he says, uh, "Cops have a right to defend themselves," black people are more violent than white people. That is the thing he is saying.
1: I and, see. I see.
2: And the same thing works in in storytelling generally. So oh, in okay. uh, in Revolution, they they take. Uh, okay, here is a story of a young girl, of of an android girl who lives in space and this culture has decided that she decides what is good and evil. Then the next episode you start delving into what is good and what is evil. You start delving into lies and, and their power and the power of deception. And then in the next one you come in and you introduce a situation where Earth-chan steps in and or won't step in as, as I think is the case eventually. Like, uh, in, in the final episode, there's a bit where the students are like, yeah, she's coming to save us. And the cops are like, no, she's coming to save us for law and order. And then she just says, if you people don't stop fighting, I'm going to take you all out. Mm. And that, you know, because we have established that she is the moral agent in the series, she is the one who is sure of her morality, but that that morality is flawed because she is so sure about it.
3: Mm, yes, we, it we start.
2: A... We start building on all of these earlier statements by by putting them next to all of the previous episodes. If mm. it, it it all becomes you know it's it's basic the the fractal idea of of how you structure a thing. You know you you start by building a sentence, and that sentence has a purpose and a thesis. And then you put that sentence in, and then you put the, and then from there you build the paragraph. And that paragraph has a point to it. And mm. then after that, you put that paragraph in with a bunch of other paragraphs that also have a point to make a chapter that has a point. You put all these chapters with points together, and you get a book that has a point.
1: Oh well, yes, and it, it is a definitely a very uh, very. It is definitely something that really requires one's uh, attention and. The, and you know, having to think a lot about well, this show while watching.
2: Well, that's and that's sort of my my problem and the thing that, that makes me so angry at it because I'm watching it. I, you know, it's got this structure and and the way it cuts back and forth between time and the episodes and between continents and and always with with the American Superman Master Ultima hanging out. This threatening presence off in the side and you don't know what he's about mm. but he's clearly bad news and and I'm just going through the whole time being so angry at the show because again this whole thing this whole first season is nothing but exposition this is just saying alright well this is who this character is and how they came to be
3: mm. that oh, yes. shouldn't
2: work that should be boring as hell
1: hmm I do wonder though whether or not this wa- whether I do wonder though because of the whole uh, denseness of this first season that it, of all these characters and these oh, ideas yeah. and
2: themes well, and and not only just the, the main characters you you meet every mm. episode also introduces their enemy counterpoint character for the future arc. Yeah,
1: oh yes. Oh yes. Oh yes, the uh the robot, de- the evil robot detective.
2: Yeah, evil robot detective. Um, the the two pe- the the see the machine siblings who become Kikiter.
1: Yeah, uh, it's pretty funny how the bug princess. Yeah, it's kind of funny how in some I don't know maybe this is probably just me like making my whole thing about you know drive and <laughs> doing it do it. Not uh, motorcycle, not cars, arg. But it is quite, it is kind of, kind of fun to see how, uh, in, how this sort of, how the, how the straight, how the, by the books, by the law, this sort of really authoritarian cop superhero is probably, in the common writer narrative, not really a good guy. And, you know, it's kind of fun in a in a very uh, almost petty sort of way, what? I guess.
2: Except it's not because it's, you know, these guys have have caught on to a strong thematic thing that Common Rider has that the people actually writing Common Rider did not seem to connect to.
1: Yes, the uh, the the anti-authoritarian themes, you know, all of Common Rider. Yeah. 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 Mm. Hmm. I, there is one thing that also kind of bothers me, too, with, uh, which, what was the magical girl's name?
2: Uh, she's, they call her Kiko, uh, her, her name is, uh, I think, Hoshino, Kiko Hoshino? Yeah,
1: yeah, oh yeah, Kiko, yeah, I'm. yeah, and this is we are. I'm we are just kind of jumping around subjects now. This is kind of getting into a very stream of consciousness sort of thing. Well, it's,
2: but, it's pretty late where you are. And, well, it's and a it's it's also really fun because that's how we kind of podcast.
3: Oh
1: yeah, it's a podcast anyway. So you know, if you want a more, uh, more I guess structurally sound mm-hmm. show, you can listen to our other listen to our main show, Uncommon Castor X about Common Writer which, you know, but the thing that kind of which, you know, Kiko, so, okay, so she's the one, okay, so they really didn't do much at the end with her, did they?
2: Not not as much as as they could. I I get the impression that she's going to be a major player in the next arc, but they, they did kind of like leave her behind they, they just sort of set up like okay she's a crazy witch and she's a demon queen
1: which what is a pretty mean? interesting idea I th- think I
2: so, well I think I think like it's it's like they're playing the the modern magical girl the the Madoka, as the devil man of that world
1: I suppose I think that the thing or something it is kind of a I I can't really imagine that. I honestly cannot really. I honestly wouldn't want to if they if they do. But I do kind of hope that I. But there is kind of still this kind of hope that that with all these sort of like, all these sort of commentaries and like little bits of nods and all that to these all these other, uh, Shova era iconography and culture. Mm. Magical Girls it seems to be pretty much put in the wayside and not really commented on on any sort of capacity, which is kind of disappointing to me, I think. But on the yeah. other hand, I also, you know, again, I cannot imagine this show that is already dense with all these sort of things happening. And, you know, it's already kind of questionable whether it it completely works or not. If you also put Magical Girls in the mix you know, how would that really work? I
2: mean, that's, uh, yeah, I think that's a very good point, because, yeah, it would be really hard to add in
1: even more. Big, which, well, then again, I suppose if we, because I suppose it is already hard enough, like, Magical Girls just deal, uh, the things with Magical Girls is already hard enough, so I can't really imagine it being, like, commented on in a show that's like, Oh, now we're doing common rider. Now we're doing the kaiju boom in both the literal and the rep- and the sort of like representative way. And now we're gonna do like all these sort of things, and then include magical girl in it. And yeah, yeah, it would have been because the whole th- because magical girls is very very complicated. If you- especially if you especially if you Put into like any sort of, I guess, uh, I guess uh, the sort of feminist readings of it, it becomes really complicated. Well, I will not really complicate, well, I guess not really complicated, but it's kind of like the sort of thing where you can say it, you can call it. It's like the Disney princesses, I suppose. Like, are the Disney princesses bad? In some ways, it is, but are they all that? But are they, but you know. Are they, are they also good? Well, in some ways, yeah, they're they fine, too. Like, it's like... It's that sort of thing, where it kind of teeters the line, because, you know, because our world and our whole bullshit with, like, gender roles and segrega- gender segregation, all this, you know, binaries and all that sort of stuff, it's already hard enough to kind of consider that, so, yeah. I do mm. I... Don't, I yeah, I wouldn't expect this show to be able to even be able to pull that off successfully. No.
2: I mean, um, especially since, I mean, they, they'd have to basically have to deal with uh, the Madoka effect.
1: Yeah, they, they they basically have to make a completely different show by then. Yeah,
2: which, yeah. like, look, if, if they want to take this kind of, of skill and do a, a full-on magical girl show exploring what the magical girl is, that would be great. <laughs> mm. But,
1: Hopefully. you know... Hopefully with better characters, though. I, I'm, I'm going to forgive you for that. Well...
2: well no, I know. I, I, it, this show just appeals to, like, my very strange and specific sense of character and storytelling aesthetics.
1: I do like it, too. but well, I, also, oh, yeah, I, I know, but I like it's,
2: it, I like I'm it just saying, too. like, I'm, I'm way more in the tank for it than maybe is fair.
1: Mm, I suppose. I don't know. We all are kind. We all have that. Uh, we all have those many things that we are thankful Exactly.
2: Which, like, I, you know, you, you can you can still say the thing, but it's, you know, when you say you don't like the characters, I'm just like, you're wrong. Well,
1: you're well wrong. I don't. It's not that I don't like the characters, but there's definitely, there's definitely some, there's definitely, they are definitely not really like a as. Interesting as people, really, but which isn't really so much as which in of itself isn't really a can can isn't really a flaw, depending on the story you're trying to tell, which we already gone through the whole you know Christopher Nolan and all that sort of thing. So you know, but I just you know I'm just saying that uh, this sort of th- if we're gonna one day have one some kind of like the ultimate thesis on magical girls. Uh, I hope it also has the sort of charism- charisma that the ma- many magical girls have. I
2: would, I would hope the same.
1: Yeah, yeah. How, what was I gonna say? I was gonna. Oh, yeah, we we did. We went to this whole tangent, but you know, the whole we went to this whole tangent. So anyway, Kiko, as in the show, as how she was in the show. The thing, the. You know, the thing that spurred me to mention this was that, you know, because by, like, like, I think, like, you know, like, as the show progressed, like, I kind of thought that they were going to do this one thing with Kiko because they were going to, you know, where, you know, like, each episode, they were just going to seem like, oh, Kiko's getting, you know, on top of things. She's, like, solving these problems in her own way and, you know. You no, know, offering answers to these different dilemmas and, you know, mm-hmm. doing these all these interesting stuff. But by the end of it, it then kind of pulled a 180 and did this completely other thing that kind of was completely, like, out of nowhere, which honestly was kind of an issue with a lot of the aspects of the final arc, which is where a lot of things did come out of nowhere. Like, oh, suddenly she was offered this weird... Root vegetable thing that made her into uh, the demon person, and now suddenly Jiro had a friend he didn't remember all this time, which is really questionable, which is a highly questionable uh, writing choice. That is is
2: a pretty nonsense development, I will give you that.
1: Yeah, and so, (laughs) so yeah, it's kind of, so, it kind of, so, I do wonder how much of this. Sh- so that does kind of also bring to question how much of this show really. How much does this show really like work as a story? Like, does this show really work as well as a story that much? Because it has all these sort of stuff that all these sort of messages and themes that kind of almost in the, at least on the in this part, like. On this part, on at least, you know, on this uh, on this part of the show, kind of kind of gets in the way of things. Where Leno, you know, you know what I mean?
2: I can kind of see what you mean. I mean, it's it's the idea that that they're so busy saying what they're about, they're not backing it up properly.
1: Yeah, yeah, basically. I I could see
2: that. I mean, it's, again, the way they're doing it really works for me personally, but I, I do think, not but, because but implies a negation or, or
3: mm-hmm.
2: something else, because, and, it works really well for me, and I can see where you're coming from. Yeah. Cause I, I think, I think that is definitely a valid criticism of the show, cause it, it is very in love with what it's trying to do, and mm-hmm. so in love with that, that it kind of, but I, I could see the argument made that it forgets that hey, we're also supposed to be a fun adventure show.
1: Yeah, telling, with, with, uh, telling with the, a character story. In,
2: yeah, exactly. Because the, the, the thing where in the last episode of the first season Jiro is like, okay look, I fulfilled my end of the deal I'm never going to come back and hang out with you guys, because if I do, that will break the the deal that Emmy made for Kiriko's soul. Mm. Or not Kiriko uh, for Kiko's soul. It's like mm-hmm. okay, well, I didn't, I didn't see that coming, and I didn't really, you know, we didn't spend a lot of time building up their friendship or romance or or whatever it is that's going on between them.
1: Oh, yeah,
2: that's well, that's, that's such she, a w- she. She was in love with him, I guess. Huh?
1: Well, yes. I mean, I saw it, but it was also like such a minor detail that it might as well not be there. But then suddenly see it matter in the show so much that apparently there was this sort of almost pseudo woman scorn thing going on. That it was like, okay. I, I mean, I guess this is happening now. Yeah, I
2: mean, it's. I think that is a valid criticism. It's. It's. Not a thing that hit me very hard, because you know, because I'm 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 too busy being like, oh, look at how hard they're going with their themes.
3: Mm, but I you see.
2: know, and and of course, again, I think it's totally fair again to come out and say, yeah, they're going so hard at their themes, they aren't, they're not being fun, they're not being a story.
1: Yeah. Although there is also one question. Although there is, although there is also the whole. uh, you sh- because there is also the one thing that we didn't really, uh, po- we really didn't talk about, which is also something that the show really juggles with, is the whole superhuman, thi- and humanity like the next evol- step in evolution sort of thing. Like that was extensively commented on in the show, but as to how it worked, well, hmm. Hmm, what do you think?
2: Well, I think that's, I think that's, uh, you know. Uh- I hate to be the guy who's like you have to keep watching it's gonna be in the sequel but yeah in this case you have to keep watching it's gonna be the sequel because I think I think the reason Mm, they spent all that time you know having this discussion about about the the ad agency we sell ideas Um, coming in and saying like okay well no humans super humans that's what we're about Versus, you know, not aliens or those other things. Um, I I feel like I I feel like the way it's it's working in in the universe anyway is that anything that's got superpowers, you know, which is defined as anything a person can't do, like Mm. I can't I can't lift up a truck, so anyone who can is superhuman. I, I think so. On that basis, that's how they define it in in the in the universe and then that the fact that that definition is ultimately arbitrary and ultimately constructed it's it's Mm. it's not a real thing exactly i mean the the aliens and whatnot like yes they're genetically different but they're still people and i I feel like that's going to be a major thematic conflict in the second half and and that's sort of why jiro has the, the conflicts he does throughout because he's just like no look I'm here to help people. These super mm. these these people with all the powers, they need protecting. We're going mm. to protect them, but then everyone else has their own ideas about what protecting them is or what that's about. Mm. You know, or as, as clearly shown by, by Master Ultima's submarine, some of them are just like no, they're not human. We can kill them and use their body parts to power our super sub. Mm. We can do that. They're not people. Mm. And and of course that, that again gets back to a common rider thing because one of Shocker's things is always, well, look, we're the next we're the logical next step in human evolution. We decide what human evolution is, we decide who is a person, we decide who gets to live and die and mm. serve. And I, I feel like they're they're trying to build up the, the government side into a, a you know a very explicit shocker monolo- uh, analog, even though they're clearly going to call it something else. But
1: mm. it will be kind of interesting to see if they actually do end up having a shocker analog. How they're going to do it? Because I would definitely be interested in seeing, like, with all these sort of setups and all these sort of themes going on. Like, to I'm honestly see. feeling
2: like the American government is shocker. <laughs> mm. Which look, like. I always feel like I'm being such a performative, you know, expat, like, oh he doesn't live in America, so of course he talks about how much he hates it. Ah. Mm. But like look, that is that would be a great twist, especially considering like the flashes we get to the, the army of superheroes going in into fight you know, to go and fight all the the, the Japanese superhumans of, of you know, Yokai and, and aliens, etcetera etcetera. Mm and especially considering like that shot near in the end of the 13th episode where you see the freaking Enola Gay. Mm. <laughs> like let's let's be real clear. There's the Enola Gay, there's a crater, and then there's a giant Godzilla shadow going over Hiroshima.
1: Like oh yes. What? Oh yes. Speaking yeah. of Godzilla, the whole Kaiju boom thing too. That's uh that's also a pretty interesting sort of a uh, sort of analog to many things.
2: Yeah. I mean, it was... And, it was especially, you know, again, with, with this idea that, okay, well, there's all these people trying to create monsters they can control for... They never say military purposes, but they always seem to mean it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: Th- yeah, And the thing I really do quite find... It's kind of funny how it kind of is... Like not only is it like a reference to both the cultural phenomenon, but also as to the whole idea of, but also to the or the real life phenomenon of militarization, weapons of mass destruction. But it also is kind of an kind of an interesting take and a knock on the sort of why people like kaijus, the kaiju fandom in general. Mm-hmm. You know why we like Heiju isn't all that because of what they represent. You know either as forces of nature or victims of humanity or whatever, but because we just like them destroy. We just like them. We just like them because they destroy stuff. Uh, It's cool to watch them destroy cities. It's spectacle, and that's pretty interesting. And that's kind of an honesty that uh, that I uh, I don't really. Yeah, you don't really see all that often. No, it's true. Especially in this show where, you know, it's all about, like, uh, like you know, the deeper meaning of things and stuff. Well, okay, but uh, you, whatever. You, you, I, 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 I don't know what I was trying to go with there, but whatever.
2: Well, you, don't, it's, but, you know, you, we bring that up. We bring up the Godzilla shadow. We bring up, you know, and that, and that can lead us to Jiro himself, who explicitly implicitly like is the the nuclear fire of Godzilla like mm. that is what is inside him he is inside him is Godzilla
1: it also kind of goes uh goes back to the whole uh, the whole sort of monstrous side of common Rider as exactly. this angry yeah. anti-authoritarian rebel yeah who who is also monstrous just this mm. thing yeah yeah it's pretty it's pretty cool. Yeah. I, what was I gonna say? Yes. Yeah, oh yeah. But this was a tangent. I was gonna cool. get into the shocker yeah, analog because the interest because because this show kind of already uh, did because there is kind of already a shocker analog in the sense that there is like this sort of uh like the, those three a those alien cloud things. Yeah, that's true. That's
2: very, yeah. Yeah, who have infiltrated the upper echelons of government and are explicitly there to control the course of, of human development, mm. specifically superhuman development. But
1: yeah, yeah. we entered in as we sure. in them. One of them finally realizing that this is that we shouldn't be judges of what humans do, and just and you know to make them into what we are because you know. What we are is probably not 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 the most perfect way of doing things. Yeah, but but that makes me wonder also that if there's but that also that's the one thing that's one thing down. But uh, there's also the thing that I do wonder if they're gonna because there's always I do always have kind of this sort of personal interpretation of what shocker or what the great leader kind of is. And essentially my, essentially the idea is that they kind of, there is no real end purpose, like no clear end, like there is no clear end goal with what shocker is doing or what the great leader is doing because what they, what, because it really is kind of more, because what I think is kind of more similar to how, Black like Ghost was in uh, in Cyborg Zero Zero Nine. Hmm. Black Ghost has no end, has really no end goal. No, what it's, it's all end they want to do, exist. All they want to do does. is profit and sell weapons because the world has because the world and all its humans. There are there you know our society has flaws. Humanity has a ton of has a lot of flaws, and there are horrible people in power and those people in power and those pe- horrible other and those other people and this is whole and the flaws of ours and the, our flawed society have a need for essentially this great horrible weapons merchant that will provide them you know anything that helps their cause to you know perpetuate war and conflict and you know oppression which then Make which then gives more need for weapon, weapons, and more need for the Black Ghost. It's kind of this sort of venomous, uh, It's kind of this sort of horrible cycle that uh, that just keeps feeding itself until everything just everything is gone by the end of it. And I think that's kind of how I kind of see Shocker, which I I'd almost say is kind, of, which you know I'd almost say i almost say it's kind of so supported. In in some common writer, this is me like taking all this sort of stuff and making my own interpretation. But you know, like remember uh, what I said in the uh, in the previous episodes of the podcast. You know about the whole, uh, the whole common writer, Mad Max comic.
3: Mm.
1: Yeah, and you know the Grongi who essentially i still th- who essentially are you know they are shocker but just shocker if sh- if shocker if the monsters if there's monsters were just like you know just taken to their ex logical extreme where they just are bloodthirsty for the sake of being bloodthirsty they're just violent because they can and be- they are they- they're horrible because they are horrible and you know it's kind of that sort of thing it's the it's you know it's hegemony the monster.
2: Yep. <laughs> as as I think you pointed out in one of uh, your your earlier things about Common Writer Kuga as you know people saying oh it's really conservative and it's like well no. Well it, I think I was
1: the one who made that sort of.
2: Yeah that was you I mean and and you you pointed out that like no that's not what's going on it's like if you look at it Daguba. The, the ultimate evil is really just this nice young man in a suit. Hmm. You know, he's, he's the, the ultimate darkness and he's and he's dressed so nice and he looks like such a nice kid.
1: Well, then, well I do have to also point out that I made that post like, what, years ago by now? Yeah, so but I, did, I, I think it was a salient point. Mm, I don't know. i have to think about that. Uh, i have to think about that argument a little bit more because Kuga has a lot of interesting things going on. It really does. And what and you know and you know, even you know and just the fact that it was meant to be the common rider that was meant to uh, be the sort end. of the end of Common Rider. That alone may bring so many interesting uh you know sort of uh, sort of brings so many interesting ideas and uh, implications with it.
2: It really does. Like yeah. yeah. And besides the fact that, like, when you're the last one, you kind of have to go a lot harder, and mm. you know, towards whatever it is you're saying, and they did that, and it was mm. wonderful.
1: I think the thing, the ultimately, I think I'll probably elaborate this on uh, on this one later, but it does kind of, it in some way, Kuga does in a lot of ways. Like it is in a lot of ways a great *Kamen Rider* show, but it is also a *Kamen Rider* show that explicitly kind of criticizes the sort of underpinnings of the original the *Kamen Rider*. Yes. In some ways, you know, you know, just you know, like the, uh, like you know, like how authority kind of is, like in *Kuga*, it kind of is seen, it kind of is proved, argued that they are actually pretty necessary and you if there's know nothing
2: else they have a role to play
1: yes though, though i
2: think it is it is like i would be quick to point out that like it's it's only the local and civil authority who have that role to play mm. They they never even think to bring in the like the self-defense force or or, or what have you
1: oh yeah that's true but I don't, yeah, but yeah, that's true.
2: That is, you know, it's one of those weird things where it's like, you could go either way. I'm not I'm not saying it's it's anti-authoritarian at all, because <laughs> I think that would be, it's, it would be pretty hard to make that argument. No,
1: Kuga is definitely not anti-authoritarian no. in the same way that other writers are. That's Agito true. is. Agito was completely, yeah. Agito completely was about that, all that, but, yeah. you know, not Kuga, and, you know. And from that, we are also gonna come go back to concrete revolution because concrete revolution is also very anti-authoritarian. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So yeah, I mm, I don't think I have much else to say now, right now, and I feel rather tired. And
2: yeah, I think it's about time. And
1: I do kind of, mm, I do kind of wish that Sono was here because she would have. I, she would have bring a lot of interesting things. She would have probably had a lot of interesting things to say about this matter. Because I honestly still, I honestly haven't uh, thought all of this thing through. I ju- I haven't thought all this thing through yet. I probably have to rewatch the show at some mm. point again. And uh, yeah, and read more about uh, how people react to this show because it is interesting to read. You know?
2: Absolutely, and, it's and un- if you could send some of those links my way, I'd, I'd actually really love to read them. Uh, so, for Uncommon Cast RX, I'm Aleph.
1: I am Cannibal Saracenian.
2: And uh, we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening.
1: Yeah. And, uh, and hopefully, stop. we'll have a common writer episode. Right now, like <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> Simple right